Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental enthusiasts, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, Laura and I discuss the Expendables movie franchise. We talked to Fred Wagner about music theater, Waters of the U.S., and greenhouse gas reporting disclosures. As always, it's a wonderful interview. We're really glad to have him back. And finally, geese are monsters. It's not a fact. I just <laughs> wanted to put that out there into the world. They are terrifying, aggressive, mean, and they will uh, they will come after your soul. So that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> and uh, yeah. But, uh, oh, you're going to come over here and meet Freddie. Is that There's a nice because I don't doubt Yes, Freddie's awesome. He's <laughs> kind of the resident well, over here at the local pond. Okay, you you uh, during nesting season, uh, yeah, come talk to me. <laughs> so, Freddie goes for the, the the eyes. They go for the head. They know, they know. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> just because it is going to be nesting season pretty soon, so <laughs> watch out for for not the one you can see, but the one you can't. That's actually, I think, that's where the Jurassic Park quote comes from. Is because a goose will hit you. The one you don't see is the one that's coming for your head. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hit the music. Okay, we have some exciting news coming up. If you haven't heard already... EPR, Nick and I are doing an AMA and Ask Me Anything on Wednesday, April 12th at 8 p.m. on our YouTube channel, which you can find at EPR Podcast or www.youtube.com slash at symbol EPR Podcast. <laughs> we'll be available for you to ask us any questions about career advice, your favorite pizza toppings or anything else that crosses your mind. Movies. Um, any <laughs> movies, <laughs> uh, people we've had on the show different kinds of jobs, whatever, anything. Mark your calendars and we'll see you there. Today's episode is sponsored by Venable LLP. Woohoo! Yay. Venable is one of the nation's leading law firms. Venable's management reflects a commitment to diversity and inclusion through a broad category of hiring, training, and educational activities. The firm's environmental practice group works with clients across the country on major infrastructure development, including NEPA compliance and resource agency permitting. Venable encourages volunteer activities in professional environmental associations like this one, <clears throat> as reflected by Fred Wagner's membership on the NAP Board of Directors. Let's get to our segment. Yeah, because I don't know, like Fred's, you know, is obviously we talked about court cases and the law. You know, the uh, law. Uh, yeah. The law. The law. Speaking of which, I'm making <laughs> for. what's happening? My brain immediately goes to breaking the law, breaking the law. <laughs> I actually went to Judge Dredd. I went to Sylvester Stallone. I said, just like he would. And then I was like, hey, you know what? I just found out, Laura. Here's another thing. They're making an Expendables 4. And I don't, I haven't seen any of those movies. But what? look terrible. They're awesome. Are they really? Have you seen them? They're fantastic. Yeah, Have I've seen, seen all Oh, three that's movies. hilarious. <laughs> I, I haven't. Well, I mean, then you must love the dinosaur, like, uh, you know, like blowing up movie. Come on. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> expendables is so much fun they're just like let's get a group of dudes together who are like the muscle-bound dum-dums of their day and just like <laughs> put them into an adventure together and shake it up it's awesome <laughs> that's hilarious all right fine i will watch i'll watch the expendables I'll, I'll find out where it is i'll watch the first one and see what happens sorry if any of them are listening you're not really dum-dums you're all very smart but <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 they're playing characters who may not <laughs> right, right. Yeah. meatheads. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> Remember that was Laura no, and I do. I love Laura. Sylvester Stallone. I love Jean Claude. I love all like they're all just so great, and um, mm -hmm. you know Schwarzenegger, and just put them all together and just like see what happens, and it's it's fantastic. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, there and they're. Go. I think all three of them are pretty good too. It's not like you know they got worse so or they better. They're just all kind of good. Yeah. Have you seen the, uh, cause like there's one like John Wick. Have you seen that? Uh, yes. I've, I've seen those. Not quite the same to me. It's just kind of like, I don't know. The acting in the first one was terrible. People were talking about how great it was. I'm like the bad guy I couldn't take seriously. I don't mm -hmm. know. Keanu Reeves is great, but I don't know. That movie just uh, loses me at the puppy every time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What are we doing? We got to stop doing that. <laughs> just stop killing dogs in movies, please. Right? Like, I don't need that in my life. I think we've talked about that before. It's, no. Yeah. Nobody does. Yeah. Like I had a friend who like refused to watch it just because of that. Yeah. And I was like, well, you could just like fast forward past it. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, like he does have a, there's a lot of vengeance related to said moment, but yeah. Um, I mean, I get it. That's a a reason to. Yeah. Murder everybody. Yeah. hundred percent. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Go berserk. But uh, they didn't need to show it to us. No, know? that's the thing. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> why is this happening on screen? Like, why right. can't, why it's, ugh, yeah. Oh, I'm still mad that's at that. one of the poorest yeah, there's, choices. There's so many times history. where you're just like, oh, there's a dog here. It's going to die. Great. Awesome. And you're just like, it better not. There's nothing better happen to this dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> we yeah. feel it coming. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. You did it. <laughs> yeah. Why? Like, I'm, out. I'm out. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, my favorite, like, ridiculous clip of all time was a um, disaster movie, like, The Day After Tomorrow uh, or whatever mm, it was. That called. One I okay. don't remember. Before the day after, Jake Gyllenhaal, right? And so this is, I'm just going to give you like the first like five scenes of the movie. This is what they're like. They're like, climate, climate, weather, weather, climate, climate, wolves for no reason. Climate, 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 climate. And, like, <laughs> and I remember like they did this scene and like, look at these wolves. They're a pack. And you're like, I swear to God, if these wolves attack a single person later in this movie, I'm walking out. And, and they did. And I did. <laughs> I was promptly dragged back to my seat. But yeah, I genuinely got out. out How did out you get like, dragged back to your seat? Well, yeah, that's, you know, you're with somebody and then they, uh, they're like, no. <laughs> they would, they didn't protest with you. No, no. Sit down. <laughs> All right. Fine. One man protest fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah it was, no, it was really, it was just funny. I was just trying to be hilarious more than anything else. <laughs> I was like, I knew this was going to happen. Like, it's like, why do you even show it? You know, if they weren't going to do it later. Yeah. So that was pretty funny. But that's what happens, you know, when the, uh, you know, there's like a weather event. And then like two days later, all the animals are rabid, right? You understand that. You know, <laughs> they're all like going to kill everything that they see, let alone people. So, okay. I'm not sad. I didn't watch this movie. It's bad. It's a very bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh man. So maybe let's get to our interview. <laughs> Please. Welcome back to EPR. Today we have Fred Wagner of Venable LLP, our official legal correspondent back on the show. Great to see you again, Fred. It's great to be here. I'm I'm glad I'm still on the payroll. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's been a great run and uh, we're happy to keep it going. But, you know, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. I know there's a lot of stuff, you know, talking court decisions on water, you know, we got greenhouse gases, all kinds of stuff. But we also, I want to start with a conversation about musical theater. How has music theater influenced your career? What do you love about it? Well, I mean, my introduction to Broadway and musical theater was not voluntary. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. it, I'm not saying that somebody forced me to do it, but in fifth grade, I was cast as Oliver in the school production of Oliver. No. And um, <laughs> got to sing Where is Love, if you remember that sort of very. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> song that Oliver sings. And so I, I was just going about my business, you know, learning the song and stuff like that. It, I didn't have any particular, you know, motivation or connection to it. But for me, what clicked was the day of the performance. Um, mm-hmm. My mom came during the day and she brought some of her other girlfriends from the apartment building in Brooklyn, New York. And kind of, there's there like three or four of them. Yeah, yeah. In the front row. So there's, there's my mom and Rhoda and Sylvia. I called all my neighbors aunts. So all yeah, of them yeah, were yeah. sitting in the all of them were sitting <laughs> in the front row. And I just, you know, I sang my song. I wasn't particularly, you know, motivated or fearful. It was just it just you did I it. the song and I sang the song. And so yeah. I'm in the middle of the song and you know, where is love? Does it come from skies above? You know, it's very yeah. plaintive. And so I look down and I see all four of these women my mom and her three girlfriends just bawling their eyes out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And yeah. Crying and, and I'm, I'm continuing to sing the song and I'm thinking to myself, gee, this is having quite a reaction. I mean, even as a fifth grader, I'm almost so why are these grownups crying yeah, 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 yeah. over this song? And it, it was at that point in time that I think it clicked with me, if not intellectually, but certainly emotionally. Mm, that yeah. you know, the whole notion of performance and stage you know, can really, really has an impact on people. It really can, you know, send them to a different place. Yeah. And shortly thereafter, I asked my parents to if we can go to Broadway and, and, and see shows. 
and they did. And, you know, we would, you know, wait online at the half price line in Times Square to, to get to the shows. And then I went to sleepaway camp uh, as a preteen and I did, you know, the summer theater program there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's pretty good. And, yeah. and there were two people that were you know, huge influences on my life. Shelly Kaplowitz was the co-director and the director was a, a fellow named Steve Zowell, may rest in peace. He just passed away. Mm. And they really just changed my life. I mean, they, they cast yeah. a big part. I started doing stuff backstage in front of the stage. They really taught me some of the ins and outs, the specifics of performance. And it became a part of my life. Like from that point on, all the way through college and law school, I, I met my wife doing musical theater. My daughter uh, went uh, back to college, the same college I went to. She was in the same musical theater troupe right, right. You know, I, <laughs> that I did in, in college. I mean, so it's been part of my existence forever. Yeah. And you know, to this day now, when I go see shows or listen to music, I, you know, I think back to that very, very first song <laughs> in fifth grade. And you know, now I'm having yeah. those emotional reactions when of course. You know, I see performances and, and hear some of these songs. It's that important to me uh, in terms of my uh, psyche and how I think about life issues and whatnot. It just takes me away. It's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's like, you know, everybody has different things too, but this has to influence your career too, right? Like how you even go about your practice and how you do your daily job. So how do you kind of connect those two things? Yeah, it's, you're so right. And the thing that I'd say is most obvious is that because the art of performance is interactive, you're just not performing to the lights in the front of the stage. There's an audience there, you know, right. and you feed off an audience and you feel an audience's energy and, and things like 100%. that. Yeah. And what I've learned from my experience in, in law, whether you're making a presentation to a court, a legislative you know, committee you know, on the Hill or something, or to a client, or even making a pitch for work, you know, yeah. you know I've learned how to interact with my audience how yeah. to read my audience, how to see what, you know, what's flying, what's not to get a sense of the energy. And, and, you know, where, when I have to pick it up, when I have to, you know, ease off, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's all because the performance practice and all the various shows that I've been in, I've directed shows. I think it's all as an account of that. And yeah. to me, it served me really, really well. I, um, when I was at the department of justice, I convinced my supervisor to, hire a consultant to talk at one of our retreats. And the topic was acting for lawyers. <laughs> right? It's called yeah. acting for lawyers. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, you should have seen the, the objections from some of my colleagues. Like, oh, how, how insulting, you know, we're, right, right. We're, we're not acting. You're, you're, what's the insinuation that, you know, we don't really mean it. You know, we're just pretending after the presentation, I think they came around a little bit and, and they said, Fred, we understand it. Right. You're saying that, we are acting or actors in that sense. What you're saying is that in order to be persuasive, in yes. order to do our jobs effectively, we need to understand at least somewhat the art of performance, projecting, you know, emotion, all that, mm. all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm a strong proponent of it. I, I think that there's a, you know, obviously a happy balance between you know, performance art and, yeah. and legal persuasion. But it's pretty evident to me that you could be the most eloquent, the most intellectually advanced attorney in the world. But unless there's some semblance of understanding of how to you know, portray and project those arguments in a way that has some element of that performance in it, you're not necessarily doing your job really well. Yeah, And so that it's really carried over to my... Uh, my practice quite a bit. Yeah. And it's like, the way I like to think about it sometimes is like, it's not, you can't fake emotion, but you can't ignore it either. And so if you do either of those two things, you miss out on people connecting with you. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, that's exactly it. And I love that that's where, you know, that you get to use that in your day to day. We all do. We just don't think about it that often. And I love that. So um, last time we talked about the differences or the relationships between, you know, consultants and lawyers and how they work together. But I had another question, I guess, in a similar vein, when you talk about a project and you know, it's going to be a contentious project, no matter what, and you know, that no matter what you decide, whether it's, you know, 
Like if we'll use a green energy example, whether it's going to be to, you know, turn on a power plant that had been shut down or to build new wind farms. I'm just using a random example, but no matter what happens, you're going to get sued. So, you know, from the start, this is going to be a challenge. You're going to be involved because it's contentious. How do you even begin to navigate a project like that? How do you get to the end result? You can't make everybody happy, but you want to make more people happy? Or do you just want to do get the project done? Like, how do you kind of even approach it? The first thing that I do, Nick, is you know tell clients that the driving force behind how you continue to navigate your project approvals or your project analysis should not be the fact that you're going to get sued. Even even with the reality that you know you're going to get sued, that should not be the driving force. Why? Because if that becomes your endpoint, oh, we have to protect ourselves from this challenge. If that becomes it, then the manner in which you go about your more routine business of your technical reviews, analyses, and whatnot becomes too defensive. It becomes too colored by what's somebody going to say about it. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean you ignore the fact that you right. I'm not saying that you just you know go ahead and pretend nothing's out there. That's the reality. Yeah. But I want you to approach your jobs as if you were going to do it and explain it in the clearest terms possible to an audience so they understand exactly what you're doing. And that's to me is best practice anyhow. Right. So so I tell the clients, don't get consumed by the fact that there's going to be a challenge. We understand that there's things that we can do. The second thing I tell them is because of that, because you think there's going to be a challenge. And again, this is so mundane. If anything, you know what this does? This puts a higher premium on file management and document management. Because at the end of the day, right, what you're going to be defending is the work that you did and the work you did is reflected on paper. There are no witnesses that are going to testify in a trial like that. It's going to be proof of what you did and how you do it. So keep track of those things carefully, you know, important meeting minutes, you know, memoranda summarizing discussions, you know, between the applicant and the agency, even when there's disagreements, how are those disagreements resolved? And on what basis were they resolved and all that, you know, if you have it organized and thought out that way, then when eventual challenge happens, you're in a position to begin the defense, you know, clearly and logically, you don't have to recreate any wheels because as you, well, no, some of these projects take you know, years to years, get to yeah. fruition. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, not sometimes, all the time. People leave, people move on. So, yeah. so the woman who did your wetlands delineation is off on another job. And the man who did your biological assessment is now working for a different company or you know, whatever. And so yeah. you have the luxury of going back and speak to them, you know, what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> right. When you did this. But if you've done a good job and keeping the paperwork well and organized, it's kind of all there. So, you know, number one, don't get consumed by it. Number two, organize your thoughts or your paperwork so that you're ready to defend it. And the last piece of advice, Nick, is, you know, do a little bit of what we just talked about before. Do a little bit of acting. (laughs) And the acting in this case is pretend you're the plaintiff. Yeah. Put yourself in the shoes of a plaintiff. What are they thinking? What are they worried about? What buttons are they going to push? And that little bit of role-playing, if you will, as you go through your work, helps you anticipate some of the things that you'll have to defend later on. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot of creativity. It doesn't take a lot of you know, pushing the envelope. But what it does is say, you know, hey, wait a minute. You know, we think we're absolutely right here. You know, we think we're on all fours. We're doing a great job. But hmm, if somebody were going to poke holes in this thing that we're writing, yeah. what do you think it would be? What would somebody else say yeah. about that? And if you take just a moment, again, not be consumed by it, not be driven by it. But if you take a moment at those key junctures in a process to think, you know, what would somebody else think about this? What criticism might we be subject to? Then you can anticipate and even work into your record things to, you know, respond to those sorts of things before they become massive problems for your team. So those are some of the things I tell people. And and then finally, I try to tell, portray confidence. Yeah. You know, you know, like Stuart Smiley, you're smart enough, you're good enough, and by God, you're good looking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're getting... You're going to come out of this all right. Yeah. You know, we're going to win and right. have that confidence, a purpose. And then at the end, before litigation happens, you'll be ready to go. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I think I know the answer to this question already, 
But is it better to know you're going to get sued in the beginning than uh, at the end? Is it easier for you? Or does it kind of just depend? It's a little bit easier, I think, you know, because as the lawyer, it makes my job just that much easier to help prepare a client for what eventually is going to happen. I've I've had it both ways where, you know, the phone rings and they weren't expecting a challenge and all of a sudden they're challenged and, you know, they feel jolted, you know, by that. Right. Um, And then you're a little playing catch up a little bit. Whereas in the other instance, when, you know, we're anticipating a challenge from the beginning, you can have that mindset. You can do a lot of preparation and be ready to go. So look, the short answer is you hope you never get sued. Right. Nobody likes it. Uh, <laughs> nobody likes to go through with it. Um, right. Uh, but if you know, and it's going to be that, you know, that controversial sort of project. Yeah. It's a little bit of an advantage to have us be able to be, you know, partnering with you as the lawyers along the way. Yeah. Well, it makes a great, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, thank you again for that. And, uh, you know, I think we can dive into the meat of our discussion today. So we joke, we've been joking since you started that there's not that much going on when, you know, cause it's obviously not true, but I mean, my goodness, we've had a very busy, you know, few months. So let's start with the waters of the U S right. So last time you were on, we were talking about proposed rules and now we have rules with litigation, imminent ruling coming up, kind of keep us up to date on where we are with Waters of the U.S. and where it's going. Uh, well, last we there. talked, we uh, mentioned the, the argument in the U.S. Supreme Court back in October mm-hmm. in the Sackett of yeah, the United Sackett. States litigation. And uh, they had over two hours of oral argument uh, over the <laughs> meaning of Waters of the United States. Uh, yeah. the very, very first argument of the new term. It was very exciting. A couple of things became apparent is that I think there's a great deal of frustration on oh, yeah. behalf of the panel, like, are we here again? Again, I know. Are we really doing this? And, you know, are we really talking again about the meaning of the word adjacent? And <laughs> in fact, at one point during the argument, I think it was Clarence Thomas who said, can we stop talking about adjacent, please? <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. But what came up in that argument, Nick, was that the Solicitor General of the U.S. promised the court that the rule was going to be out before the end of the year. Because the court asked them, they said, okay, yeah. you know, this is in front of us. I understand that this rulemaking process is, is ongoing. What's up with that, United States? And the uh, Solicitor General said, rules out by the end of the year, Your Honor. Right. Well, when did the rule come out? December 31st. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You know, so it's not, nothing like telling the Supreme Court that rules coming up by the end of the year. And you can imagine all the folks at EPA and the court go, great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and so they, yeah. so, but they managed to do it. Yeah. And it came out first on the EPA and, and you know, core websites and then you know, officially published in the Federal Register just a little bit later. But you know, the rule and the supporting documents, is ma- uh, they're massive. Yeah. You know, the rule itself is extremely long. And when you click it on the EPA website, you will find at least a dozen you know, supporting documents underlying the rationale of the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the economic analysis. There's the technical analysis. There's the response to comments. And, and the response to comments has like 10 or 12 chapters in yeah. it. You know? And so all in all, it's, it's well over a, a thousand pages, maybe well over 1,500 pages of analysis um, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with the wars of the United States. And my impression is that this administration wanted to do just you know the opposite of what happened in the Trump administration, which is when the Trump administration reverted back to make it you know too simple, you know making the rule closer to the navigability right. rule that Scalia wanted, you know in Rapanos, if you can float a boat down it, then it's water in the United States. Right. Yeah, they didn't have even being objective here. They didn't have a lot in the way of technical support for it. They just basically said, here's you know, what we think you know, the, the courts have said. We opt for this. Right. This administration said, you know, we want to do something different. I'll explain what that is in a minute. But we are going to substantiate it out the wazoo. Right. And they did. Yeah. And they did. So you can agree with it. You can disagree with it. One thing you can't dispute is that there's a rationale for just about everything. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. And so that, that's the first thing that I know. The second thing that they tried to do is, again, despite it being very lengthy and very massive, they tried to give the impression that really what we're doing here is reverting back to a paradigm, a model of enforcement that's largely been in place for years, mm-hmm. as modified slightly by Supreme Court review. Yeah. So 
again, overgeneralizing, right. I think the pitch from the agencies is, hey, nothing to see here. Because if you're used to doing your jurisdictional determinations, if you're used to the permitting requirements from the late 1980s through the present time, you know, with the slight modification of the Rapano significant nexus test, right. then you're going to be happy because right. pretty much we're doing that. Again, they say that in 1500 pages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the message that they're trying to send. It was clear that they felt that the Trump rule went too far. It moved the needle too far away from a waters that they felt deserved protection. Right. And so they wanted to move that needle back, but they didn't move the needle back too far the other way beyond the technical assessments for wetlands, for tributaries, for streams, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, from the late 1980s. Gotcha. And so that's, you know, when you talk to technical people that have reviewed the rules so far, they say, you know, we think we can keep on keeping on. Wow. You know, which is, you know, not what you're reading in the media. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, it is not at all. So yeah, the reaction to it is what you always hear. Yeah, it's overreach. You know, everything's a water right. puddle, every this, every that. That's not the case. I mean, I think objectively, it's not the case. And when you speak to, you know, my technical friends, such as yourself and others who do this work day in and day mm-hmm. out, their impression is that if we generally keep to what we've been doing, we're going to be okay. Now, this hasn't stopped litigation. Of course. Uh, the, when the rule uh, was uh, published shortly thereafter, I mean, like within days, uh, two cases were filed in Texas challenging the rule, one by a bunch of industry coalitions, associations led by the farm farming industry, other from the state, challenging the rule on a whole variety of grounds. And then just three days ago, another lawsuit was filed in the great state of North Dakota this uh, spearheaded by a group of, you know, a dozen or so state attorneys general right. challenging the rule. And uh, the bases for challenging the rule are the same sort of things you've heard in the past. The rule is impermissibly vague. You know, you don't know what a WOTUS is until you see there, and that's not fair, especially yeah. if there's civil and criminal enforcement. They argue that to the extent that they've defined it, they've usurped state authority over uh, control over waters and state boundaries. They have raised the major questions doctrine, which we've talked about in the past. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's going to fly because if if the Clean Water Act does nothing, it it defines what you should be regulating in terms of water pollution and things yeah. like that. So I think that's a bad. I don't think that's going to be a, a good argument for folks here this time around, and a variety of other grounds as well. But the most important thing for this discussion, I guess, Nick, is that in Texas they've already moved for an injunction. Oh, wow. A nationwide injunction to prevent the rule from taking effect, which it would in the middle of March um, if nothing else happened. And I think the court has already set a deadline and is going to try to get arguments by, you know, by that time to see if it could rule on whether the rules allowed to take effect or whether there'll be a slight delay or whatnot. Um, The jurisdiction they got in Texas is a court that dinged the rule. You know the rule last time around, huh. so, you know, said a favorable judge, a favorable draw. So the odds are, are favoring some delay in the effective date of the rule. Gotcha. Uh, even if the judge declines to do a full nationwide injunction, there could be some sort of delay, at least while the court gets to consider the rule on the merits. That very well could happen. Right. And then the other complication is somewhere in the next month, two months, the Supreme Court's going to issue that ruling in Sackett. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to ask you next. <laughs> and, they're, and they're going to join the fray. And they're going to yeah. join the fray. And so what is that going to mean in terms of the rule? How far are they going to go? Are they going to undermine you know, entirely kind of what the agencies are trying to do now or something less? Right. And the instinct that I have and my colleagues who follow this closely is that for the folks who think that there's five or more votes on the Supreme Court, completely undermine the authority of the EPA and the Army Corps to regulate, you know, waters in the United States and wetlands and stuff like that, they're going to be sadly disappointed. I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. My sense is it's going to be a much more narrow ruling trying to address the specific circumstances that uh, confronted the Sackets and their property. That clearly could have some, you know, blowback on on certain aspects of the rule as it was proposed, because the rule does talk about adjacency and, you know, the elbow connected to the hip bone, which is connected to the (laughs) knee bone, you know, that type of thing with respect to waters. Mm -hmm. But my sense is is that the court's going to issue a much more narrow ruling 
even if, you know, they rule in favor of the Sacketts, and the odds are, given the composition of the court, that's probably the case. But an overarching ruling tearing apart the authority of the agencies in general, I don't think that's going to happen. So some effect to the rule, I think, um, but, but not so dramatic that the litigation in Texas and North Dakota, and there'll be others, can't proceed in a way to determine the whether the agency's uh, rule was adequate and whether it will meet the standards of the Administrative Procedure Act. But I would say the odds are strong that the effective date is going to pass and a court's going to say, let's put this on hold for a little bit. Gotcha. Let's, let's wait. Give me a chance to rule on the merits. Let's give everybody a chance to argue this and brief this so I don't have to rush. And I don't think that'd be a bad thing for EPA and the court either for the reasons I said earlier, because I, I think they believe they are regulating waters right now pretty much the way they would be regulating it if this rule took effect. Yeah. Uh, and if there are any other challenges out there, they'll be on a case-by-case basis on a particular permit, you know, a denial of a permit or, or what have you, a particular jurisdictional determination. Right. And I think the agencies are fine with that. You know, if that happens on a one-off basis, that's fine. So that's what's going on. Uh, again, if people were rooting for the final definitive word on waters in the United States, Sorry. We're not there. We're not there. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it's not going to happen either. But yeah. I will make a bold prediction, which is, you know, so long as Chief Justice Roberts is around, mm-hmm. this is going to be the last modus matter before the Supreme Court for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want to see this again. They're going to give whatever guidance they can. They're going to leave it to the agencies and they're going to let the lower courts dispose of you know individual challenges on specific issues i don't think they want to dive into this this would be the fourth case yeah it's already you know, incredible in 30 yeah. years what you know do we really yeah. need to do this again so uh whatever litigation there's going to be on this is going to be done in district courts appellate courts i i don't think it's going to go to the supreme court again and not for my natural lifetime it is an incredible thing because it really has gone back and forth so many different times and it's just it has to be at some point like you, you know why keep doing it we have guidance, we have, you know, issuance. Is there ever going to be a point where we'll be actually be able to get, you know what, what we have is is good enough? I know people will always want to push on some th- certain things, but we have to agree at some point, I hope, that, that we have at least enough to move forward. Yeah, it's where is the intersection between policy and politics? Right, right. When you read the complaints, the business associations, the states, on behalf of landowners and private property owners around the country, they make the argument that, hey, you know, complying with this law is expensive. It's tough. And if, you know, if there's uncertainty and we don't know if something's, you know, water in the United States on our property and our land, and we have to spend the time to pay you, know, you Nick, <laughs> or, or me, right? <laughs> you know, that's expensive. That takes yeah. time. And that's not fair. It needs to be something that could be, you know, that can be workable, right? And right. so that's the sort of politics of it. The reality, though, is how often does that happen? Yeah. How yeah. often does it really happen where it's truly a shrug your shoulders, throw up your hands kind of factual situation where you, you just don't know? Right. right. You know, yeah. really? Does that happen all that much? And there are certain things and there are certain realities that create regulatory nightmares um, you know, for certain industries. And I get it. And they want to eliminate that uncertainty. They want to eliminate that cost as much as they can, because it just interferes with the, the regular operation of business. The reality, I think, might be that when we get to a point and we determine you know, how often is this really resulting in something that people are you know, at loggerheads over, you know, right. really? Or are we getting to a point where inevitably, like with any regulatory program, you know, there are going to be disputes over the application of the law. Yeah, exactly. And can we endure a regime where that happens some, you can't avoid it, yeah, but yeah. not anywhere near for the vast majority of cases. Right. And if we reach that point, then perhaps, perhaps, you know, we can get to the place that you described, which is just good enough. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I think that remains to be seen. I, I think and that's where I said the politics of it. If there are governors and attorneys general who feel that there's still points to be scored, you know, in you know, pursuit of the argument that this is you know, regulatory overreach and what's the you know, effective role of the government, I think those cases will still be brought. Yeah. Um, but I think time, if, if this rule is given a chance to be implemented, 
my sense is that time will show that the quantity, the sheer quantity of serious disputes and controversies over what really is a bonus, mm-hmm. it's going to get narrower and smaller and it's going to become livable. And yeah. that's when I think people could say, okay, we're never going to get 100% agreement, but at least we get to a place where there's more certainty, the expectations are out there, and the range of cases where there's a real dispute are as small as, as they possibly can be. And uh, my sense is that's kind of where the courts may end up as well, uh, which right. is they're going to say, look, 40 years of this, yeah, let's move on. No expectation that there's going to be one magic solution. Right. And the last thing we want is, you know, another flip, another administration comes in, a different party, they rewrite the rule again. You right. know, that's, that's going to make nobody happy. Right. So let's move forward. Let's resolve that. If we have individual disputes, we'll resolve them, see if it's more or less, and then take it from there. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been here since I graduated law school. And it's still here. <laughs> I know. I know it. And uh, it's still, it's going to take another year or two to to get to that point, Nick. It really will, you know, finalizing the rule, litigating the rule, hearing from the Supreme Court, certainly the rest of this year and probably into a little bit of next year. All right. I mean, I knew, I knew it, but you know, it's just, there's always a little bit of hope that this is the end, but, (laughs) um, you know, and you also, there's, you did a deep dive on the ruling with a, a webinar with NAEP as part of webinar series. And I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that series as well and what the other two, and I will say it's free for NAEP members. If you are a member, you can download and watch these rules. And there's part of a package for those who are not where you can purchase all three webinars. So yeah, I see we already talked about WOTUS. What are the other two webinars that you're going to be working on? Yeah, I'm really happy to talk about this. We're really, we're really thrilled in NAEP to be able to offer this series. The concept is, was this, is that things happen so quick. There's no one perfect you know, discussion of these issues, but it's best to get out there quickly, to get in front of our members, our community, and have an you know, open discussion uh, about some of these things. And so we created this three webinar series. The first one was on MODIS. The next one's going to be on the phase two CEQ rules. You know, they're coming out, we think, pretty soon. It could mm-hmm. be as early as the end of March, beginning of April. And then obviously also the second ruling. And the idea is we do a quick dive into them. We get you know quick takes from experts who, who know about the rules or about the judicial rulings and get it out there to our members as quick as possible. And uh, so far, it's been a big success. We had a, a great a turnout for the, the WOTUS rule in January. And uh, we hope we'll have the same for these other two. And then hopefully that'll be a model moving forward for the rest of the year and into the following year, Nick, where we try to anticipate, be a little bit of, crystal ball readers right. uh, try to figure out what's going to be hot and then commit to the members that will do a, a quickie discussion of those developments whenever they hit. So yeah. uh, that's what we're doing the rest of the year. Yeah. It's going to be pretty exciting. I can really, like you said, like phase two is coming. I know there's you know, rumblings that, it's, that it's, they're reviewing it. So it's really, that'll be really cool to see. And I'm really excited. You know, we've talked a lot about what that's going to look like and what's going to be in it. So it'll be really cool to do that dive and we'll promote it on the show as well. So more to come on that. But, you know, with the water quality isn't the only thing going on right now. We also have quite a bit going on with greenhouse gases. And we've been following a lot of those challenges with you as well. So we talked about the SEC proposed rulemaking last time, and it dropped almost a month, I think, after you hopped on the show. So can you walk us through the updated reporting requirements and anything in there surprise you? Well, there's a, there was a major development since that time when a, another group of federal agencies joined the party. (laughs) And they issued their own rule on disclosure and reporting. And that's the trio of the General Services Administration, Department of Defense, and NASA. Yeah, And and they uh, helped contribute to the federal acquisition regulations. And they made, uh, they issued a proposed rule and the comment period just recently closed that for all federal contractors, they too would have to separately disclose greenhouse gas emissions as and, and substantiate through review from a third party their own plans and this would be incorporated and be part of the federal acquisition regulations so if you do contracting with the federal government you would have to do this as well yeah in some ways the rule went beyond the sec rule yeah (laughs) uh, by compelling federal contractors to have these certified science-based targets yeah 
and genuinely we are talking about them internally here at Dawson quite a bit. So right, what does that mean, right? And yeah, what does it mean? Exactly right. <laughs> the entity that they put in the rule is this internationally based third party, is the SBTI that that has some international members, United Nations, and, and things like that, and uh, they're the ones that you get validated. You submit your plans to this entity and they validate the plan. And under the GSA proposal, you would have to show that you've submitted it to the SBTI to get validated. Yeah. That's been a little bit controversial. Yeah, I can imagine. As you can imagine, not, not a lot of people like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> the idea of uh, going to a third party, never mind a third party with a fairly strong international component to it, to be kind of like a gatekeeper about whether you can get federal contracts or not. So there was another group of agencies that joined in with more proposals on reporting and disclosure requirements. The SEC extended its uh, comment period on in its rule uh, back in the fall. They it closed again, it opened, reopened, and closed again in November. And according to the regulatory agenda that they published, they're thinking about their rule coming out in the spring, their final rule. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some leaking so far. That's been reported in the Wall Street Journal with an indication that some of the um, thresholds in the SEC rule about when you would have to report these things, you know, mm-hmm. maybe modified somewhat and perhaps even the timing of which, you know, when you have to respond could be modified as which in part. So we'll see that soon enough. I think the SEC final rule will beat the GSA DOD final rule. I think it's ahead of that. Yeah. Um, and then just like WOTUS, you could probably hold your breath. And by the time you, you have to breathe again, there'll be a complaint filed. Right. <laughs> and so, uh-huh. so where is that going to end up? How are we going to, are we going to get to a, a place where we will have the reporting? And I guess maybe when will we actually start doing that kind of disclosure? The difference with WOTUS and the ESG rules coming out of the SEC and GSA is that the, what's going to be litigated in the, the latter in those other agencies is the, the ability and the jurisdiction and the authority of those agencies to do this at all. Right. 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 In MODIS, we know that there's authority to issue permits. The question is over what? With the ESG reporting, it's can you even do that? Right. Yeah. Do you have, do you yeah. have the authority to do that? Is SEC, is that part of your mission? You know, right. GSA, can you make this part of the qualifications for a federal contractor to prove that a contractor is responsible to have a science-based target for greenhouse gas emissions. Can you do that even? You know, and so that's what's going to be litigated. So unlike the the Lotus rule, you know, we're not going to know for a while whether the agencies can advance this process until the courts say, yeah, this is something that is or isn't in your jurisdiction to require these sorts of things. Yeah. And so there's going to be, you know, this, this notion of a uh, called a facial challenge under the law. Facially, meaning can you even get past go and collect $200 <laughs> you know, before you do this thing, as opposed to an, an applied challenge to the rule, which is you know, somebody you know, submits their reporting and then the SEC says it's inadequate. Right? Right. That's an as-applied challenge to dealing with the rule and complying with the rule. What we're talking about is facially, can the agency can even get there? Yeah. So my prediction is that that's going to take a you know, even if the final SEC rule comes up the spring, it's going to take a solid year to get past that and through the appeals. So the final rule will have deadlines that'll give those dates, but I doubt that they will kick in because the litigation will be pending immediately. And it's going to take a while for the courts to figure out if the whole premise of the reporting and disclosure is within the jurisdiction of these agencies. So I think it's wise for companies to prepare for it. I think in many instances, the companies are already doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're doing it on their own. They're doing it because, you know, it's part of their own compliance program. They're doing it because they, they have businesses and, and operations in Europe or in Asia where they're doing and they're requiring some of these things already. So it's, it's going to move forward. They're doing it because maybe even California would go ahead and pass something right. with the federal <laughs> government. And you know, California by itself, as we know, is the sixth largest economy in the world. So I think companies will be wise not to sort of put this off indefinitely because I think it's some form of it is going to be required and you know continue to be required. But the SEC and GSA rules themselves probably won't take effect for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, which makes sense. And but I like your point too, that it's going to take companies, it may take a while, but companies should still look into this anyway. I mean, if we get to a point where they're like, okay, go, and we don't get in, then, uh, you know, 
that's uh, not great, I would say, I would argue. Right. And the other thing is we're now seeing, I don't know how to you know, phrase it, more pri- kind of private enforcement yeah. of these issues. You might have read recently there were you know, shareholder challenges, yeah. representations made by companies about their representations, about you know, carbon reductions and their commitments and you know, claims of greenwashing in their uh, publicity and their representations. And so, you know, it's not just, you know, from the, the governmental perspective, it's also from the private sector and shareholders, you know, moving to make sure that their companies that they've invested in are doing this work legitimately, fairly, honestly, and, yeah. and so forth. And, and that that's going to happen as well. So ESG is here to stay, I think. And the question is going to become, how does it become incorporated into government activity, you know, across the board. And we know that this administration's commitment is, you know, you hear this phrase all the time, Nick, you know, an all of government approach. Right. There's certainly an all of government approach to climate and GHG. And so it's not surprising to see disparate agencies like the SEC and the GSA, you know, do this. The outcome is what we're still waiting to say. Yeah. And, and, you know, more to come on that for sure. Like I say, it's been, again, one of the most interesting times, I think, in environmental policy in this country is the past couple of years. It's just been fantastic to see. So do you have anything on the horizon for us that we haven't talked about on a litigation standpoint that maybe we'll be looking for uh, the next time you come on? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. I I think we will continue to see a lot of activity in the Section 401 water quality certification world, Mm -hmm. the rulemaking and litigation over it. It is, you know, just a classic case of federalism, the role of the states, you know, when they perform their water quality certifications, the authority that they have, the time by which they have to act on this, and then the sort of relationship between it and federal authority under the Clean Water Act. So there's going to be a lot of activity under Section 401 that also then affects, you know, the work of our members because they, you know, prepare the documents seeking water quality certifications from states around the country. So that's an area where I think there's going to be a, a lot of developments. And then the other area, and we really haven't talked about this a lot in our podcast before, but we may in the future, and, and that is what is EPA going to do with the PFAS chemicals? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How are they going to move forward? You know, there's talk of you know expanding the list of those chemicals. There's a talk of including PFAS in terms of super fund cleanups and identification of hazards at Superfund sites and in water and drinking water and water regulation as well. And there's going to be a lot of movement on that. Again, from a technical perspective, you know, how uh, do firms around the country deal with the reports of these chemicals, how they deal with the very sophisticated technical work on gauging what's in drinking water, what's what's, in a a hazardous waste site and, and so forth. I mean, this is really going to be kind of the next generation of regulatory compliance for, for chemicals. And again, the, it may not matter if EPA issues a final rule because there can be citizen suits over right. this. There could be toxic tort suits. And certainly states, individual states can move forward with regulations in this area as well. So to me, that's kind of the next generation of environmental protection above climate. Obviously, that's, that's the number one. But right. You know, the regulation and the, the litigation over PFAS is the next thing that we probably should talk about as much as it's <laughs> complicated yeah. and, and, and frustrating because oh, there's yeah. so much uncertainty, but you can't avoid it. You can't mm. avoid the scope of the potential challenges out there under you know, those chemicals and the various regimes, whether it's RICRA, whether it's you know, Superfund site cleanups whether it's citizen suits over you know, water contamination, it's just going to come up over and, and over again. Yeah. And it's not, the chemicals definitely aren't going away. We know that. Well, so. by definition, that's what they call yeah, Exactly. <laughs> See, I want to, I want to change my name. I want to be a forever lawyer. There you I, go. <laughs> I could be forever lawyer. That'd be great. Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Forever chemical. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, now, yeah, that's perfect. And it's always such a pleasure, Fred. I know we talked a lot about legal stuff right now, but, you know, I want to end on another lighthearted note here. We talked last time about Drive to Survive as well. On Net- and that's coming back on Netflix. By the time this comes out, it will be. We'll all be diving into the season's past. And it's great. It's a lot of fun to watch. Has anything else caught your fancy? Well, the Netflix is trying again. 
Yeah. Uh, they've expanded the Drive to Survive model to the PGA Tour. So for golf fans, there's a, a new series that's, that's dropped and it's called Full Swing. Full Swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it, tri- it tries the same model behind the scenes, insights into the pros, how they prepare, their ups, their downs, their travails. And, you know, it doesn't have the same, I don't know, international panache right. as the Formula One, you know, the, you know, the international drivers and, and the different cultures. It doesn't have that feel to it uh, yet, but it certainly does have the same kind of feel about what it takes to be, you know, a professional at the highest level of a sport mm-hmm. and the emotional and physical strain it, you know, it puts on people. An episode I I watched last night and again, I'm a big golf fan as you and I talk, but you know, one of the best pros of the last decade, a guy named Brooks Kepka, yeah, won four major tournaments in 16 and 17 and has been in a terrible slump since that time and hasn't won. And they did this whole episode and he's, you hear him talking, questioning his own skills, questioning his, you know, am I good enough to be out here? Am I good enough to compete? And, you know, gosh, you know, to hear somebody at that level talking about you know how they compete and how they prepare. Well, first of all, it makes me feel a little bit better you know, <laughs> as a, as a yeah. mid-level handicapper. I know I stink, and yes. maybe I should just you know, resolve that I'm going to stink forever. No but you know, when you hear somebody like Kepka, you know, questioning his own you know self worth and whether <laughs> he can do this anymore, it's kind of fascinating. So if if you're into the, the, the drive to survive, but maybe in a more genteel way. This, uh, <laughs> this uh, full swing series should be right up your alley. Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah, you know, it's funny. I think the, you hit it like no pun intended being a professional athlete. So much goes into it. It's so much work. It's so much pain, suffering, both from a physical and mental standpoint. And golf is the most brutally unfair sport there is. It's just, you're like, I could do this a hundred times and 99 of them be the way I want. And one time out of a hundred, it's going somewhere else. <laughs> and it's just an incredible thing. It's it's really cool. So I'm excited to check it out. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited to check it out. So then maybe next year, uh, Netflix will start a behind the scenes of Pickleball. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know what you would it's call it. Up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. Br- brine to survive. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's uh, coming soon. 2024, look out for it. All right. All right, Fred, is there anything else you want to talk about before we let you go? No, it's it's great seeing you guys. And I hope to see as many listeners out there at the uh, annual symposium AEP is going to have in Phoenix in May. Uh, yeah. It'd be great to catch up with people. And uh, I hope we can do another live session there. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it, Fred. All right, bye. Bye. Uh, that's our show. Thank you, Fred, for joining us today. Please be sure to check us out each and every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. See you, everybody. Bye.